0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com.
1: Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup.
0: Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. Yeah. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah,
1: he's
2: a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him!
0: And WEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Whoa. Hey, Scott! stuff. Lace him up for some bees talk right now.
1: I'm going to get sock.
0: It's the Skate Pod on WEEI.
2: Welcome to episode 176 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined by Scott McLaughlin today. No bridge approved with us. She's uh, off on vacation. Land. Scott, I know we're a little bit jealous. Although the weather was pretty nice in Boston today, it was about 60 degrees, so not not too bad.
1: Yeah, I, I would I would rather be at TD Garden than than the Bahamas for sure all the time. <laughs> I don't I don't know what the popcorn situation is in the Bahamas. You know, just the unknown scares me. I know I got my popcorn in the press box, so.
2: Yes, no, no, yeah, definitely. That's the Bahamas is not known for their popcorn, that's for sure. Um, but also at the TD Garden, as you mentioned, so the Bruins get their 54th win of the season tonight against the Ottawa Senators, who up until recently were in a dogfight for the, for the wild card spot, but they've dropped out a little bit as of late. Um, we got to look at Jacob Trickin, uh, their newest acquisition at the deadline, um, up in Ottawa. Didn't help them win, though. Bruins were able to sneak by with a 2-1 to win. Um, goals from Krejci and Jake DeBrusque. So, yet again, DeBrusque kind of continuing his hot streak. And Marchand gets an assist on that play as well. Um, Bergeron as well, I believe. Or maybe Bergeron assisted on Krejci's goal. But, by the way, those guys are sc- they're still scoring. Um, after a bit of a slump these last three games, they've been the difference makers.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think it's... Kind of like a combination of a few different things. You know, and a couple of weeks ago said he's still not really feeling himself and you know wasn't where he expected to be. And he said again tonight, you know, he's still not quite there, but he, he's feeling better. So I think he's gone going a bit. Um Debrusque, I was talking to him after the game, and he sort of said, you know, he when he first came back to the lineup, he had like all this energy from missing all this time. And then, like as he played a few games, it kind of set in that, okay, I like you know it's not automatically one hundred percent. Like okay, there's still some soreness. Like gotta kind of manage it. And then he felt like he he hit a little bit of a lull individually, and now he's he's going again. And so you know I think it's like they've all kind of gotten going again together. Um. Inevitable. They're they're just they're too talented to stay down for too long. Even if you know Martian isn't quite prime, Brad Martian, Bergeron's on a little bit or whatever. Like they're they're gonna figure it out. They're gonna be effective. Um, You know, in the last podcast, I mentioned how they'd given up some goals during that last stretch, which was uncharacteristic. They're clamping it down, which again is like expected that they're going to do that. They're not just going to slip defensively and struggle for more than three or four games. Like that, they're just too good. Um, yeah, I think you saw Debrusque make a great play on the back check tonight. You saw Bergeron break up some passes on the back check. Um, Berge, you know, all three of them part of the what the penalty kill is going to look like for a while now with Derek forward out and all three, you know, played a role there. Otto goes over three in the power play. So yeah, they've definitely gotten going and, uh, you know, you want to see them finish the season strong because obviously, you know, I've said before, like that the check line is they've kind of been the most consistent offensive line, but that top line is still going to be the one that's going to, you know, they're going to get a ton of tough matchups. And so you want them feeling good. And I think they've started to feel better these last few games.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's vital for this team. Obviously we've seen that a top line can, can be shut down over the course of a playoff series. So the, the benefit for the Bruins this year is that they have, you know, they really have two top lines and they have about, I mean, Third line is more of a second line, and the fourth line, I guess you could say, is a fourth line. But regardless, they yes, so the, so that them getting their groove back again. We knew it was it was inevitable. It was just a matter of when um, and would it be with enough time to kind of get their mojo going before the playoffs. Um, and you know, it's not as easy as it seems because you have to rest guys and, and manage minutes. And uh, if you're slumping, it's it's guys are less prone to be receptive to those things. But now that they've gotten some confidence going, I feel like you know they're more they're okay with taking a rest here and there because because they're, they're feeling better about their games. Um, you mentioned Derek Forbert out of the lineup. Do you want to give a quick update, Scott, on on him? And uh, I think he's out for the regular season, right?
1: Yeah, Jim Montgomery said uh, at Tuesday's Morning Skate that they don't anticipate Forbert being back before the end of the regular season, um, which is kind of the same language they used with Holland Felino and... Foligno and The other injury updates from Tuesday is Taylor Hall uh, was on the ice before morning skate and then stayed on for morning skate in a red, no contact Jersey. Uh, He led the center. ice stretch, which is, you know, usually kind of when guys come back from an injury, like that's, you know, they get that. Um, And Felino was seen skating on his own. I, I wasn't there for morning skate Tuesday, but um, you know, all everyone else who was there and then what Montgomery said after, um so yeah so felino's back on the ice which is a good sign because the last time we saw him uh you know at the garden or around warrior he still had a brace on his legs so um you know that was during their last homestand before the team's road trip um you know so basically two weeks ago uh so two encouraging signs there but obviously you know some disappointing news on on forbert um you know, still, they still have six regular defensemen who are healthy. And those are the six who played Tuesday night. It, you know, I do think zaborro's go- going to get some more games. I think they will still rotate defensemen out um, here and there. So, you know, and now they're going to see what their penalty kill looks like without Forber, right? Cause that was, that was the most noticeable area that his absence showed up earlier this season when he had, when he was out with the broken hand for, you know, almost a month, uh, was their penalty kill clearly dropped off. At, at the time he got hurt, they're at like 90% as a team, and then it dropped always down to 76% with him out. So far, with him out this time, the uh, penalty kill's been been really solid these last three games. So, you know, Jim Montgomery highlighted guys like Lindholm and Orlov stepping up, especially in you know, that left spot on the PK left defense spot. Um So I guess it's, it's not a silver lining. That's not the right word, but it is, it's an opportunity now to see, you know, okay, what is your penalty kill without Derek Forber? Because that stretch, in, you know, when he was out with the broken hand, that was in November. That was a long time ago. So how, you know, that doesn't really mean a whole lot in March and April. So, now you have another chance to figure out, you know, what this group is without him.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, they still won't be as good as with him in there. Uh, just You know, it'd be, it'd be great if they could make up the difference a little bit, but I, obviously the optimal um, situation is that he's back in time for the playoffs and we don't really know if that's the case, right? Because they're being kind of vague about it.
1: Yeah. It, it sounds like it'll probably be close, like maybe right on – you know, same kind of timeline as Felino where it's like could be very end of the regular season, could be early in the playoffs type thing. But yeah, that they, they are leaving it pretty vague.
2: I mean I think that'd be I think that'd be a pretty big loss for them, quite frankly. I think he's been a I mean I, I know I, I know you've mentioned Scott in the past that his 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 position in the in the in the top six uh defense isn't Solidified, and I and I understand why you would say that, but I really just feel like what he brings to that penalty kill, and and I guess we'll see without him right this time around. But just his size and ability to eat shots, I just feel like it's invaluable in the playoffs. Like that doesn't does that mean I'm calling him a Norris caliber player? Yeah, yeah, I guess no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But you know he he brings a very very vital element to a to a cup hopeful team, right? And so I I think that's a that's a pretty tough loss, and if he is down. Somebody else is going to have to sit there and, and you know, try to try to uh, embrace that role and eat some shots because nobody wants to eat shots, and Derek Forbert, for some reason, loves to do it. So you, you can't discount that, right? But I guess we'll see how it plays out.
1: Right, and, you know, the counter could be like, um, you know, because I, I wrote about this the other day or, you know, last week or whatever when Forbert had kind of just got hurt and we didn't know it was going to be this long. Um basically what you were just saying about, you know, who could actually you know, who will actually be out and all that and what it can look like. Um and I was curious to see like what can the penalty kill do without him. And I I wrote it basically the way you just said, like, you know, some when Forbert's in there that saves, you know, Lindholm, Orlov, McAvoy from having to step in front of more one timers. And in uh, that part of the globe, you know, that had like pretty good response, which is doesn't necessarily mean, you know, those guys have to step in front of more one timers. Like it could be, you know, maybe the penalty kill is closing on plays better with those guys. Maybe you get more clears. Maybe, um, you know, teams don't have the space to set up one timers as much. Like, you know, f- forward, as great as that is, like he's not the quickest skater. So maybe he's, you know, at, like if you were looking for potential advantages of those other guys, like maybe they just close on plays faster win pucks back, don't give guys the space to get one timers off. So now there's going to be a long stretch here where we're going to see if that's actually how it plays out. You know, if we get, if we get a couple of weeks from now and uh, teams are teeing off on the power play and their penalty kill isn't really holding up, then yeah, it's going to be pretty obvious that they missed Derek forward there. Um, if they lock it down and close the regular season really strong in the PK, then I think my case of, uh, you know, their best five on five D lineup to me probably doesn't have forward in it. You know, I think their six best five on five defenders are McAvoy, Lindholm, Orlov, Grizzlick, Carlo Clifton. Um, maybe that becomes, you know, something they might more, seriously consider uh, if the penalty kill is able to hold up down the stretch
0: okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
2: Right, I guess I guess time will tell and I, I you know I, I don't disagree with you on that as far as uh, 5 on 5 lineups um, but I, analytically you are correct. I think objectively you would say you're, you're correct. So but I think there is there's an argument to be had about about certain intangibles that that don't show up in the analytics, and one being size and the ability to you know take those like we talked about, just those 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 shots that you just you just don't want a Mac like taken or, or a McAvoy or whatever. And I hear I hear Matt Porter's point, um, that's valid. I still think you know shot blocking in the PK is inevitable no matter how much you close. But I, I hear yeah. his point, though.
1: And, and, you know, to the other side of it, like we've talked about this on Sunday Skate and Razor is strongly in favor. Like he's like as a goalie, I want Derek forward out there, period. Like that's I want him in the lineup. I want him on the penalty kill. So that's, you know, that's obviously also a very valuable perspective is Linus Elmark and Jeremy Swayman would, you know, probably tell you the same thing.
2: Mm hmm. So Scott, we spoke yesterday for uh, episode one seventy five, and um, we speak now just after one one further game, which was the Ottawa game. So um, for me, we we touched on DeBrusque and and, and Marshan and Bergeron's you know continuing to click and and DeBrusque you could, you just see his speed; he looks like he shot through out of a cannon right now, and that's when he's playing his best. And Marshan, he just seems to be much more like himself and whatnot. So that's great. Um, I guess the other, the biggest, one of the bigger takeaways for me from this game is just um, really watching Tyler Pertuzzi and see, see how he's doing. And again, like, I don't think he he didn't have any points, but he did have six shots on goal. And that, that, that is a sign of somebody who is uh, engaged and pressing and, getting opportunities.
1: Yeah. And he, he led the team in five on five shot attempts. He had eight five on five shot attempts. Um, Yeah. It's like, I feel like I'm saying this after every game now, but you can just tell he's getting more comfortable. He's shooting more. He's being more aggressive. Like he's not deferring as much. And yet he's also still making those really nice passes um, to help set up his line mates, his teammates. Um, yeah, it's you know, I thought he was involved on the four check, he was all around the net. It was like there there were multiple times, both with his usual third line and a couple times they dropped him down to the fourth line, um, to take a shift in Loco's spot. And it was like you would just see, you know, chaos down low, and he's like right in the middle of it, just battling for pucks, you know, poking you free, like, um one time he had just like a clean steal, like just stripped the the defender from behind as he started coming out of the corner. Um, Yeah. Like this is what you want to see. It's like just that kind of tenacious work ethic um, that, you know, it's funny because I don't know. I don't know if you saw this or thought it at all or, but I I got like a couple tweets or saw a couple tweets from people, you know, maybe his first week or two or you know his first handful of games, that were like, is it just me or like does Bertuzzi look kind of like almost disinterested, disengaged at times? And I hadn't like I don't think I had really seen that or thought that, but it seemed to be something that like some fans were were seeing or wondering, and I think if that like if that thought had crossed your mind i imagine these last couple games would have to you know have dispelled that like he looks you know like you said very engaged he's just been very active and involved and in the middle of a lot of good things when he's been on the ice
2: yeah i think i think bruins fans oftentimes feel like when when a so-called agitator or pest or bruiser or you know, joins the team that their first game, they're supposed to, you know, put something through the glass or start face washing. And you've, mentioned, you've made comments in the past recently about how Bertuzzi's is not a major um, body checker, I guess, per se, which, I, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't watch Red Wings games all the time. Uh, I, I've seen enough of him to know what kind of player he is, but I, I actually was surprised to, to, to notice that he's not not that kind of player. Um, so maybe that's why certain people thought he was disengaged because he felt like he was probably going to be part of a, a, a larger plan in Detroit and then, you know, goes, goes to Boston and, and whatnot and isn't dropping the gloves or whatever. But, um, you know, that's not the case. I mean, that's, I, he's clearly interested in the behind the B stuff. You would, you would see that. I just think, you know, it's a lot of change for somebody and that's all, that's all that really is in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and uh, and not to keep just stealing points that Razor has made on Sunday Skate or during his EI interviews, but like, but I, I just think like a player's perspective is valuable. Where two of those early games were against his former team in Detroit, and yeah. like Razor has said, it's it's like no matter what, no matter how professional you are, how happy you are to be on your new team or whatever, that's just a weird situation. Like you, you're facing guys that you were friends with, that you hung out with every day, that you were teammates with, like, literally one week ago. And, you know, so it's like, no matter how much you try to ignore that once the game starts and play your game and whatever, it's, like, human nature is, like, you know, am I really getting as pissed at this guy as I would at, you know, some other opponent? Like, no, it's like, you know, I was just going to battle that guy, like, seven days ago. Like, how... You know yeah. how much can I really kind of ha- him get on my nerves and me get on his?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's no greater example of that, Scott, than 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 Adam Banks. You know, I mean, he goes, <laughs> he goes he goes from from the Hawks, you know, the Minnesota powerhouse, to the District Five Ducks. You know, and he's got those he's got the starter jacket with the Hawks, and now he's play, you know taking slap shots with Fulton Reed and Averman. Look, it's it's tough. It's tough, you know, this is an adjustment period there.
1: That's right. That's right. That could have been been a cautionary tale. You know, we should have, should have should have should have been on the lookout for that.
2: So um all right. So any other takeaways from this game in particular that you wanted to go over before we move on to some more macro uh, storylines?
1: Uh I mean, just you know, I thought first two periods like the Bruins weren't great, they looked a little off, um, gave up a lot of shots, 37 shots through the first two periods. And then third period, they like completely turned it around, clamped down, only gave up four shots in the third, um, had a lot of offensive zone time, and it's like that's you know, that this game could have been trending towards another game like in Calgary, where they just give up a ton of shots and it's like well, I guess we're just going to have to have Lena steal one tonight. And it didn't go down that path. Like they were able to, as a team, get it on track in the third period and be like, no, no, we're actually going to earn this win. Like we're not just going to put it on all on all Mark. We can be better. And they were, and, you know, they've now had a few of these really strong third periods recently during this now, you know, four game winning streak. Um That, you know, that had been part of like the slippage, right? was whether it was Edmonton or Chicago, like they seem to just not have it in the third, ran out of steam, whatever, took it for granted. I don't know, but um, they have that they've been the best third period in the team in the NHL all season. So it looks like they kind of have that back now where they're, you know, even in a game where they weren't great the first two periods, they close it out strong.
2: Yeah, which I guess is a nice sign that they can turn it on when they want to, but it's a cautionary tale about you, know, you, you can't rely on that, and you don't want to if, – if you're not playing the full 60 in the playoffs, It's you know, chances are you're not going to win the ultimate prize. But, yes, I mean, I think given the circumstance that they're in, where they are in the standings, where it is in the, in the regular season schedule, um, yeah, they're just collecting points any way they can. And, 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 yeah, third period's been very strong for them all year. You, um, you made mention of, of Lena and, and, and his performance today in particular through the first 40 minutes of play, I'm going to throw it back into your side of the court for a, uh, you know, just, just something that you wanted to discuss, um, about the idea of, you know, potentially using more than one guy in the playoffs or, or is, you know, is swimming really just all number two, or is there potential, uh, you know, potentially more at stake between those two this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, so first, just like start with the mark I feel like there's been, you know, there's been some talk recently of like a slump or, you know, he hasn't looked like himself. And to me, you're really only talking about one, maybe two games. Chicago wasn't good for sure. And then the Minnesota game, I mean, he only gives up two goals that counted. But, yes, he did technically give up two others that got called back by video review. Um, but, yeah, obviously, even early in tonight's game, I thought, you know, a little bit shaky. Um, you know, the the one auto goal wasn't great. He had another, um, like, just total misplay where the puck slid off his stick into the slot and he recovered and, and bailed himself out but then he just totally locked it down, especially in that second period. He was incredible. Um, and then obviously not tested a ton in the third, but I think it's pretty safe to say they don't win that game without all being very close to the top of his game. Um, so, yeah, so the and Swayman, you know, two straight shutouts, his last two starts after his own little mini slump. It's, the idea of like potentially rotating them is, you know, I brought this up like a while ago. I think I mentioned on here, I asked Razor about it on the first Sunday skate with, you know, over a month ago. And it's like everyone's approach. Jim Montgomery has been asked about it, said he, he thought about it, but he doesn't anticipate doing it. And that feels like everyone's response is is like, well, you know, it could work. Maybe it's not totally crazy, but and eh, you just don't do it, you know. You, you everyone settles on one goalie for the playoffs, and all along I've been like, "Yeah, that's true." Like, I don't expect it to happen, but as I keep watching them, I'm just like, "Why, why not though?" Like, <laughs> I, I get that then no one does it, but like they have historically great goaltending this season, and the overwhelming majority of it has come just by rotating Elmark and Swayman. And they've both been... Allmark has been great all year. And Swayman has been great basically since December. Um, If they were two, you know, league average or slightly above average goalies, I'd say, like, no, ride whoever's hotter at the time. Um, But because they've just been both been so good, I just kind of keep coming back and, like, thinking to myself, like, this has worked all year, is it really that crazy to consider keeping it going in the playoffs? Um, I also think it would like eliminate some headaches around, you know, when would you like say you settle on Allmark as your starter for the playoffs? What would it take to go to Swayman at some point? You know, usually that's a pretty long leash. We saw Tugarask get a very long leash even when he was playing with a torn hip labrum um so usually your starter gets a pretty long leash and it's like well if you have a goalie as good as Swayman, in does that shorten the leash does that you know create complications like okay what if you win a game and all marks okay not great like would that change it or does it have to be a legitimately bad game i, I kind of feel like if you just have like a pure rotation you just tell the guys you know hey, we're just going to continue what's been working all season. That el- eliminates a lot of it, and you can basically just ride that until, like, if one of them falters in a rotation, then fine. Then you go with the hotter hand. But I don't know. I don't think it's that crazy. And also, I will say, I just saw uh, your your college, Merrimack. They've been doing this, like, the entire second half of the year, including at hockey semifinals and championship this weekend. So you know, it's happening at other levels. And I, I do truly believe at some, it's happened a couple times in the NHL, but I, I do think at some point like it's going to become something we see more often. Um, I don't know. Those are just kind of like my rambling thoughts on it, I guess, but I, I'm increasingly thinking like it really wouldn't be that crazy.
2: Can you just clarify how, what the rotation you're speaking of would look like? Are you talking every, like literally every other game or like every yep. two, games? every other game,
1: every other game, exactly what they've been doing for months.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't personally, like. I, I don't love that just because I feel like there's a, there's a momentum factor in the playoffs that you guys or not, not you guys, but like people are, would be discounting. Like, I feel like so, so all Mark goes out there and, you know, stands on his head for a game or Swayman stands on his head for a game and makes 45 saves and and you're just going to reward him by sticking him on the pine just to have a rotation. And then also I feel like you get to a position where it's like, okay, you go to a game seven. It's like, it's, I, think it's, I think it's a slippery slope. I think that, and I think it creates a lot of unnecessary difficult decisions going into a game, into a series. I feel like if a guy is Ailing or needs a rest, or has had a couple of bad games, and you want to ch- change momentum in a series because you only have so much time. I'm all for it, but uh, I don't want to just do a one one on one off split just to keep a guy fresh. Like I, I'd, I'd ride the hot hand, and if and if the hot hand runs cold, give the other guy a chance, and if he becomes a hot hand, then run, ride him until he's not. Like I don't mind. Giving both guys the net throughout the playoffs, but I don't like the every other game idea. I just think it, I just, I don't know. And I think it's difficult for the team, right? Like your defenseman, like, you know, you have communication with your goaltender behind the net all the time, and it's different for each goalie. I'm, obviously, the Bruins are comfortable with both guys. I'm just saying it's just, I just think it's a little unnecessary. I think you can give, you can have, because of their tandem, I feel like you can keep them fresh, but not necessarily having to do it with every other game. I, I, I'm i not saying it couldn't work, but I just, I'm not the biggest fan of that.
1: Yeah. My, I think, I guess my thing is like, because what they're doing now in the regular season is working at historically great levels. Like I wrote last week about how their numbers compared to the rest of the league are, you have to go back to the eighties to find a team whose goaltending was this much better than, second place in the league or the league average. Um, because it's working at a historically great level, that's why I would keep it going. Like Because I would, I would sit them down and say, guys, you're both playing great. What we've been doing, rotating you, has given us incredible goaltending all year. And that's the plan for the playoffs. We're just going to keep going like we have in the regular season. And, I actually think that makes decisions between games easier. Like, again, now, if you get to a point where, you know, Allmark's great in game one, Swayman's okay in game two, Allmark's great in game three, Swayman's okay in game four. Like, okay, then I'm fine riding Allmark the rest of the series. Like, I'm not saying, like, I'm strictly sticking to it no matter what. If one guy clearly gets hotter than the other then I'm fine riding him. And if that happens between now and game one, then that could change my mind. Um, But if they're both playing at this level that they've been at for months now, I, I think like for coach now coaches, I understand like the decisions always going to be tough. um, But I think like that plan could be, could actually be easier on the goalies themselves and on the players where, you know, again, they don't have to deal with that. Like, yeah, okay. Like if I'm, if I'm only okay, does that mean I'm getting benched? If, you know, if I have two tough games, am I out or does it have to be three? You know, like, I, I think those decisions can actually be tougher of knowing like exactly how, like, what is the point where you make a switch? You know, how much slippage does there have to be before you go to swing, and how, you know, like how do you measure like Ulmer's energy levels if he's wearing down at all, like that? I think that stuff is might be even tougher to, to figure out.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, personally, I feel like it's it's very simple. It's you go down two zero in a series, you give the other guy a look, and that and that, and that's that's when I make a switch. If that if that case happens, if that scenario happens, um, I mean, I look. I, I'm not gonna totally discount the the ideology of what you're discussing and like if they do that and it works great. But like, I just, you know, to say that it makes their decision making easier, I would say like, you kind of, you kind of bailed out on that because you were like, but also if they kind of, if they wanted to keep a guy and not stick to it completely, I wouldn't hate that. So you you kind of bail on your end because like, because you can't, you can't, you can't advocate for the one-on-one off and then be like, but I wouldn't stick to it. So if you're going to make the argument, I would say like, if, if, if they're in an elimination game in game 6 and goalie A you know makes 35 40 saves keeps the Bruins alive you're going to go to the other guy in game 7 just because it's a rotation so
1: if, if he's if he's been really good yes like if so like, like in that. this scenario say Almart gets game 1 and you alternate from there and you know they and they've both had really good series and Swayman just you know won in game 6 and was really good if Almar's been good, then I'm still going back to him in Game Seven. Like, yeah, that's that's how it would work for me.
2: Well, I you stick to your guns. I appreciate that. I respect it. Um, I'm all for getting get both guys action in the playoffs, but I would agree to disagree. I'm not. A, I'm not a huge fan of the one on one off scenario. I just it just I don't know. I just I believe in momentum. I believe in guys getting confidence and and riding it game to game. And if a guy flounders for a couple of games, like I said, if, if, if the Bruins were to go down 2-0 in a series, no matter who was in that for those two games, they go to the other guy. But I, I do believe that confidence, especially, especially with goaltenders, and I know swimming and Allmark are a special breed this year, and I get what you're saying, and I, and I know, I know. But goaltenders really are a special breed. And they when they are feeling confident, I just think that like you don't, you don't want to take them out of the cage unless you have to. And I, I really do believe in momentum with goaltenders. I really do. So um, interesting conversation. I wonder what other other people would think. Um, I just really think that there's a major difference between playoffs and regular season. And momentum is a huge part of playoffs. And that that extends on a team level and an individual level. But this might be the first time Scott and I've ever had a, had a counter opinions on something.
1: And, and yeah, and I I understand, like, I'm in the – very small minority on this because I I don't think a lot of people agree with this side. Um and like I said, I would not be considering it if they weren't uh achieving historic success with the rotation. It's like that that's ultimately what it comes back to for me is like something is working so well that I look at it and I'm like, I don't know. I I think I just want to continue doing that. You know, it's like I I would say that about anything you know if if they had tried like say for some reason they had split up bergeron and martian at some point this season and we're like yeah but you know we're gonna put them back together when it matters well let's say they split them up and their new lines are just cruising along at like a you know producing at a at a high level at my take would be like oh, i don't just keep doing what's working like that's
2: are you you still going (laughs) no okay i I mean like i feel like look here's here's the thing here's the thing i know this sounds obvious and i'm not trying to like be condescending but like the regular season you play philadelphia on a tuesday then you play vegas on a thursday then you play the islanders on a tuesday like you're playing yeah it's it's easier for that to work when you're when when you're playing every single team throughout 82 games and everybody has different travel schedules and you're catching certain teams on back-to-backs and other teams after four days off. And it's just different. But as as a goaltender, I, I would, I really feel like if you were to pull goaltenders out there, when you're playing the same team over the course of a series, game to game, you're, you're, you're living your opposition's shooting tendencies. You're studying them when you're not playing. I just feel like there's like the element of playing the same team multiple times in a series. Like it's, it's not the regular season and it's like i said it's like it's one thing to do swimming against the islanders and then all my first ducks but if you have you know whatever if you're playing panarin and the rangers for seven games i feel like if you have a goalie who's playing well and he's and he's learning about his opposition every game and their tendencies and whatnot to, to stick him on the bench every other game i just feel like might halt that um process and if they do this, Scott, and you're and, and and you're right, I'll get Scott was right tattooed across my ass. But if they're wrong, if you're wrong, <laughs> then you know we'll have to we we'll uh, call back to episode 176. But it is a good discussion. I I understand what you're saying. I'm not discounting in in, in all that. It's just not my cup of tea. Um, yeah, in reality.
1: I would also, um, because I was just doing like a little bit of research on this. I believe the. Per- possibly the only team, but certainly the last team to win the cup with something that resembled a strict rotation was the Bruins in 1971, 72. Um, Jerry Cheevers and Eddie Johnston. They basically just rotated them game by game uh, throughout that entire postseason. The, the Flyers did it when they got to the cup finals in 2010 and lost to Chicago, Brian Boucher and Michael Layton were, it was, it, it's, in neither one of those was it like exactly one game for one, one game for the next, but it was it, like, no, they never got more than like two games in a row. So like sometimes they would go two in a row and then go back to the other guy. So yeah. it's not completely, it's not like it's something that has never, ever been done. Um, But it is obviously very rare and especially rare for a team to, that actually makes a deep run, which, which I fully acknowledge, which is why they, Probably won't do it because I don't really think they're. um, I don't, especially, I think like the influence that goalie Bob has. I I think he has been on so many of these deep playoff runs and seen, you know, one goalie take charge that I can't imagine him really wanting to do this. So I don't think it will happen. Um, But I don't know. I kind of think, kind of think I'd be open to it. Hey.
2: Well, you know what? You gave us 15 minutes of the pod, so I'm (laughs) I'm all for it.
1: So let me ask you then sort of the second part of what's kind of becoming a topic recently. And I know um, Jones and Mago have have talked about this and, uh, you know, other shows as well. But in your mind, is Swayman at all challenging for that game one start? Or are you locked in on Allmark no matter what?
2: Yeah, I think he is challenging for that for that day one start or that game one start because I because to give more credibility to the last conversation that we had and more specifically on your side of the argument, they've both been so dynamite this year that I guess to keep it stupid simple, what I would tell you is whoever is playing the best in the last couple of weeks of the season, the last week of the season, like give him the give him game one. I mean. I guess it's a, I don't know it's 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 tough like because end of the season guys could be sitting but like I'll put it this way if 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 Allmark's last couple of starts are not up to not better than Swayman's yeah I go with Swayman game one because I'm not afraid to play both guys in the playoffs I think both guys are going to play in the playoffs I just wasn't a fan and I'm not a fan of the one on one off scenario um but yeah get whoever has whoever has the, the best hand going into the playoffs. And I would say throughout the playoffs too, you know? So, you I'd know, it would
1: be, you know, it'd be even more unprecedented than my idea would be uh, a goalie winning the Vezina trophy and the goaltending triple crown and not being his team starter for the playoffs.
2: What have you done for me lately? It's a regular season award. Yeah. But, but, uh, but, but, okay. But like, I hear what you're saying, but Swayman's been, Right.
1: That's the thing. It's like it's it like with all this stuff, like it's it just speaks to how good their guys have been. Like that that's not if Swayman starts game one, it's it's a credit to Swayman. It's not like a knock on Allmark, I, I don't think. Unless he like just really sucks the last two weeks or something like that, which yeah. I don't foresee. But yeah, it's a, it's like the same thing when we're talking about who sits at forward or defense when they're fully healthy. It's like well, all of these guys are like earning playing time when they're in the lineup. Like for the most part, everyone who gets in is playing well. So it's not, you know, I don't think guys are gonna be losing jobs. It's just there's only so many of them. So guy, guys who deserve to play are going to sit in the playoffs. It's just going to be inevitable with with how good and how deep this team is.
2: Yeah. And by the way, Scott, I don't I don't appreciate you back sand, sandbagging me like that, setting me up for failure. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, look, I, I mean, I will say, like, I, I think, yeah, I mean, Olmark would have to let in, like, five goals and, like, four or five consecutive games for me to even consider not giving him to that game one. Um, but in that hypothetical scenario, it's like, you know, hardware, regular season hardware, if if a guy's not playing up to snuff heading into the playoffs, like, it's, I mean, thanks to the Vesna, but, like, now the real season begins, so whoever, whoever gives you the best chance to win game one. And if, because... Yeah. Anyway. So uh, one other thing I want to talk about from the game, Scott, it just, somebody wants to bring up in general um, is Charlie Coyle. And maybe you can give me some thoughts on him this year because he um, he's got 40 points right now and he's on pace to have his second most productive season in the NHL points wise. I think he had 56 points when he in Minnesota, but um, he's been tasked with a much more defensive Uh, responsibility this year for the Bruins a lot of D zone draws a lot of time in a penalty kill and so for him to absorb that new role that new identity while still filing uh, finding a way to put up you know 40 to 45 46 points at year's end maybe maybe more um, if you just had some thoughts on the on the former the former Boston University Terrier Charlie Boyle
1: yeah I think he without question he's playing the best all-around hockey of his career like maybe he's played better offensive hockey in the past you mentioned the, you know the 56 points but this is the best two-way hockey I've seen him play and i think the defensive improvement the way he has embraced that more defensive role in penalty killing you know basically like in his prime years or like later prime years you know kind of almost reinventing his game a little bit um, is really impressive. And then just how he's played recently. you know, we talked about like that during that little skid that they had, how many chances, you know, good looks he passed out of. And, you know, I know during one of the games, Nesson, like the, the Edmonton game, especially Nesson showed kind of like a compilation of a few of them. And it's like, oh man, like, come on, Charlie, like you have to shoot. And now the last week plus, like he has been. He he's clearly either he realized it himself, which may very well have been the case, or there's just like a meeting with the coaches where it's like, look, you get this, like we need you to shoot. Like, I understand you want to pass, you want to, you know, find the easy tap in, but shoot. Um and now he is, and, and just the way he's you can tell like when he's playing confident because two things stand out one is how easy it looks for him to protect the puck in the offensive zone which he's usually really good at no matter what but then like when he's really rolling and like feeling his game you can tell it like it's he almost looks like he's toying with guys and that's how he's looked recently and then the other is he attacks with speed off the rush which sometimes can come and go like you know sometimes they'll maybe slow the play down a little too much, but I feel like you've been seeing more of that as well. And and that whole line really, you know, attacking better off the rush. So yeah, he's playing extremely well. And like, this is, you know, I feel like every year when we get to the playoffs, you, you know, sometimes like we'll do series X factors and it's like, Charlie close always one of them because we know how important the third line is. You know, we've had this discussion before, like, when the Bruins have had really good third lines, they go on deep playoff runs. When they don't have a third line, they lose in the first or second round. Uh, it, like It's not quite that simple, but that's a big part of the equation. Um, when he's playing like this, you have a really good third line. So that's crucial. And he's been playing like this the vast majority of the season.
2: Yeah, and you know you don't have to look any further than the 2019 playoff run to see exactly what he can mean for the Bruins in the playoffs. I mean, um, they 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 lost Game One to the Maple Leafs that year at home, and then Coyle scored the first goal in Game Two, and the Bruins kind of came out uh, like game busters and got the Bruins on the board. And you know, they obviously they take care of business that game, and we know what he did against Columbus. Um, he had a great you know great game one against Columbus, two goals, including the game winner uh, and over time. And, um, you know, he had many, many strong games in that, in that playoff run. Um, he had a really, really, really strong finals too. So yeah, he's a very important guy for them going forward and, and it's good to see him, uh, just really evolving. And as you mentioned, reshaping his game, um, taking more, taking more, taking pride in what the Bruins have asked him to do because, um, it's just, yeah, it's just the evolution of a player, which is great. And, um, Last thing for me, Scott, before before we take off, and you may have a few other things. I'm not sure, but uh, just if you mind giving a quick update on on uh, Nick Foligno and Hall. I know you mentioned off the top that they that they were skating, but if you know if there's any rumblings around the ninth floor about you know certain timelines and 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 you know you mentioned Taylor Hall was in the red practice jersey after um, before morning skate and then during morning skate he put the red practice jer- non-contact jersey on and. In the past this year, when guys do that, you've always kind of had this little Scott, Scott McLaughlin um, timetable where it's like once they have the red non-co- non-contact jersey in practice, it's like a week before they have the other the contact jersey. You know, it's like on a week. I don't know if you still think that applies to this scenario.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it can differ by guy. I, I think the the next things to watch with Hall is they have a full team practice on Wednesday is he out for that in the no contact Jersey because morning skates one thing like, you know, they don't really go very hard at morning skates. They're not very, very long. So like, even like if you go back to the beginning of the season, Brad Marchand was taking part in some morning skates before he was ready to practice with the team, just because that they're lighter and he could do it. So now let's see if Taylor Hall practices with the team um you know an actual practice which they have on wednesday that will be interesting and then the next step after that is get out of the no contact jersey and then the final step as we've seen this year of like when a guy's going to play in a game is they're taking they're doing regular drills with a line you know like they have a clear spot in the lineup so you know whenever you see uh, taylor hall in a no contact Jersey taking drills with Charlie Coyle and whether it's Trent Frederick or Tyler Bertuzzi, that means he's about to play in a game. So, um, you know, I think it, with him already on the ice now for a morning skate, like I would be shocked if he's not back before the end of the regular season. Like that's, you know, they've what, three full weeks before the regular season's over doesn't seem like it would be that long of a buildup from where he is now. Um, you know, Foligno, Emily Kaplan of ESPN. You know, we're going back a couple weeks. You know, what a week and a half, two weeks now. But her report was that it was looking like six weeks out from the injury, which put it right at end of the regular season, start of the playoffs. So I haven't seen or heard anything that would you know change that timeline. So I guess. I would say I'm still expecting that um Hall had been on the ice skating on his own for about a week before joining them for morning skate today, so it's possible maybe you know sometime next week we we see Felino out there with the team like it's um and then that kind of gets you know that same clock started so getting closer, the most important thing is is they're clearly making progress, so um in hall it would seem like is is closer and at this point i'd be pretty surprised if he's if he doesn't get at least a few regular season games in um once he returns
2: so how does that what does that mean for the salary cap for the bruins like is it what's the difference between both guys coming back in the regular season versus like maybe flune comes back in the postseason like how does what's the what's the have flexibility swinging is going to have to do to get these guys both back, or is after the deadline, it's just kind of like it's what it is? Well,
1: I, I think someone is going to have to be out until the playoffs starts, but that now includes forward in that conversation as well. So I, I think someone has to be on long term IR until the playoffs. Um, you know, Hall obviously looks like the closest to returning, and he's the one who is actually on long term IR right now. So there could still be another LTIR move coming where he gets activated off and either Felino or Forbert goes on. Um but don't don't take that for one hundred percent. Um I, I believe that's how it has to work, but I um am not one thousand percent sure on that.
2: Well, that's perfect. That's honestly kind of the note I wanted to leave this podcast on. So, <laughs> is there any, is we any... kind
1: of, sort of know what we're talking about.
2: Uh, um, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we, we sign off? Uh,
1: no, I don't think so.
2: All right, perfect. Because you can't really top you can't really top that last. Take <laughs> you know. So, uh, I'm, I'm honestly I'm sorry to the listeners for even asking that. I'm embarrassed on behalf of the skate pod that we couldn't give a – a finite answer, but you know what? Look, we're, we're we're speculators. We don't we're not we're not we're not, we're not mathematicians. We no, we, we don't pretend to know all the answers, Scott.
1: Nope.
2: So, all right. Well, you know what though? What I, what I can tell you is, for the first time in like seventeen years, the Canadians are coming to the Garden. So that'll be fun. That's true. Yeah. Next game is uh, Montreal versus Boston on Thursday, and um, and we will we will talk uh, after that game as well. So that will be episode one, 177. So um, Scott, if you have nothing else, thank you all for listening and we will talk to you later this week.